Hi, this is Father Andrew, and this is the All Souls Catechesis podcast. We're trying it out this year. Our theme is Signs of Life, Reflections on Hope. And we're going to be hearing all spring from members of our community about where they found hope in this last year. And so today we have with us Matt Milliner. Matt, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself for those who don't know you? Well, thanks. I'm glad to be part of this opening thing. I am, I've been a member at All Souls since 2011. We came from a ecclesial environment in graduate school that really was awful. And I'm not saying that's just the fault of the place where we were. It's my awfulness too. I, I'm not going to project that outward, but I, we could not find a church, Denise and I, that we felt comfortable in. They were either beautiful, stunningly beautiful, like ancient, glorious neo-Gothic architecture and the most sumptuous liturgy you can imagine, but evacuated of faith to the point of denying the resurrection of Christ on Easter hmm. morning. And you just imagine the, the trauma you go through where you want to go to this church, and then you hear that the priest says Jesus Christ's bones rotted in the grave like any other paupers. And you're just like, oh no. And so <laughs> we found, and it's, you know, and I think that the church that I'm referring to may have gotten over that and that mm -hmm. priest left, but that just for me, it was too much. I'm like, Ugh. and so you're thrown into either going to the Missionary Alliance Church, which we did for a while, but that was kind of the saddleback Willow Creek kind of experience. And we found this church that was in the middle which was, shall we say, evangelical and high church, right? The, the all souls yeah. formula, right? But then it, it, a beloved, wonderful congregation. But for me, with my eyes on what was going on in the Anglican communion in 2002, it was just like, it just blew up. Hmm. And you just couldn't ignore that stuff. Well, it was so divisive. And I think if I had this spiritual maturity, maybe I could have hung on as, as some faithful people did, but we just, it, it spooked us. I think necessarily it was, we just saw too much on the inside and we were just, we couldn't stay. And so we found ourselves ping ponging among the different congregations. And a lot of us have had that experience uh, who are not all souls, whether it was in the Chicagoland diocesan insanity which again, I don't know anyone who has this simplistic narrative. It was all this person's fault. It yeah. was a mess. It was yeah. a mess. And ACNA kind of emerged from that. And ACNA was and is a mess too. <laughs> but all this to say, when, when we got to Wheaton, we visited one church, All Souls, and that was it. <laughs> we were like, that's it. We're not going anywhere. We're not going to do the church shopping experience. The minute we stepped into that building, Mike Strachan gave a sermon on palm sunday um and it was you know it was a fiery sermon and, yeah and and it was but uh, it was great but the, it was the beauty of the place it was the, it was joel sheasley's crown of thorns that he sculpted that hovers which was this constant mandate of every time you looked up of humility humility mm -hmm. humility and then of course the mural in the back and and the gentleness and tenderness of the place. So we were hooked. We were sold. We were like, we're not going anywhere. So that's my story. Out of grad school came in really heady. Um, and I remember 
being in our church and um, wanting to go up to Father Martin and correct him and be like, yo, bro, I mean, you can't quote Martin Luther like that. He's hmm. not cool, right? Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was so Anglo-Catholic at that point and so drawn to Catholicism because that was the only place at Princeton where there was spiritual vibrancy. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, well, I, you know, I can do it as an Anglo-Catholic here. And like Luther was so gauche. And I realized over time that Luther was offending me because that was by design, because he was telling mm. me about my own Pharisee inside. My own virtues were themselves clouded with sin. And there's a psychological realism to that that I have never recovered from. I, mm. it, it's so true. And it's fundamentally, I think the reason that Roman Catholic saints rediscover it over and over again is because it's true. <laughs> and all the Roman Catholic saints that talk about it now would have been excommunicated in the 16th century. Right. And please don't tell me, <laughs> Roman Catholic yeah. friends, that that wouldn't have happened because you right. know it would have, right? And so, in other words, the rediscovery of grace. Let me give you an analogy. Look what I'm doing with this question, Father Andrew. Yeah, I'm, I'm running with it. You're just running roughshod over the whole plant. So here's what happened. Here's <laughs> what happened. So we had, uh, forgive us, it, it, uh, we had a beer exchange as a, some people gathered together in our church. And we said, hey, you bring 12 beers and uh, for the 12 days of Christmas and mm -hmm. we'll mix it up and you'll get 12 new beers. And I, I went to the bottom of my shelf and I must admit, like some of my beers were good and some of them were not that good. The ones that sit in the back and I'm like, can I do this? I'm like, I didn't have time. I was reaching the deadline. So I took some like, you know, there was, you know, probably at least five not very good beers and brought them to Mark Frost's house and put them on the porch and mm -hmm. went back two days later and all of a sudden, these like not very good beers had been turned into these marvelous, luscious stouts and Christmas ales. And I'm like, that's what happened to me at All Souls. I came in with this kind of <laughs> this thin liquid of my own attempt to kind of hold it all together. And I discovered first the liturgy, which was the bait. Well, I knew mm. the liturgy, but it was especially yeah, yeah. beautiful. But then grace, grace, yeah. grace, grace and never enough of it and you need it more and more and because the more and more you discover your sinfulness the more and more you need this this tonic of grace the thick stout of grace all that to say it so that's that's my story so i've been i 2011 started teaching at wheaton and yeah. we just kept going at all souls so my first i distinctly remember meeting you for the first time in the undercroft i had preached on um St. Francis Day, that we we were transplanting that to a Sunday. And I remember you had said it was a great sermon, but he said, you missed your chance to talk about the stigmata. Because, <laughs> the, at the, because on St. Francis, there's the reading at the end of Galatians where Paul talks about bearing the, the marks of Christ. And, and you sort of start <laughs> talking about, I think it's um, the photography professor at Wheaton and having the... the oh yeah, the, Greg the, Shrek, yeah. Yeah, like he's got the... It, didn't Joel paint something of him with the stigmata that's in the art yeah. department? Am I right? It's, yeah, and it's... It, I don't know if it's hanging right now. I think it's been putting away for a little. It's a pretty heavy painting. You can only have it yeah. for a couple of months. But it's this painting of Gregory Shrek that Joel painted of him with um, holes in his hands. And so the joke was, <laughs> first of all, it's like maybe this is like inner office frustrations that Joel is yeah. letting out on his <laughs> colleague. But of course, the deeper meaning, and if you know Greg Shrek at all, that there's just so much depth underneath his 
sometimes uh, playfully rough exterior and gruff exterior. He's mm. just, he's a man of profound prayer and, and depth. And so it's just, and that's, that's Christian maturity. Yeah. Uh, like it or not, you know, yeah. that's Francis's <laughs> life is the parable of growing in grace and you yeah. grow into the wounds of Jesus. So yeah, yeah exactly. I, that I said, that is tells you, it gives you a sense of, and it, you know, it's, it's a delightful memory in my mind. I, oh, I, good. Oh, good. I, I cherish good. it warmly. And, um, now, and now here we are all, we've all been stigmatized at all right. souls now. <laughs> now we're all, <laughs> we're, all now we're all bearing stigmata now. Oh, we sure are. Exactly. Right. You know, so the, our, we're talking about reflections on hope The my, I don't know if we'll find a pattern here. Who knows how this podcast will shape out, but my opening question, where have you found hope this year? Yeah. In, I, you know, it's fine. I, I found unaccountable hope inexplicable hope hope that i cannot explain for our nation no yeah hmm. no <laughs> sorry find we're another recording podcast this. we're recording this on thursday january yeah, 7th if you yeah. want to look find back it, exactly and, see the, and look and at good, the news headlines yeah and good luck finding that podcast right. that <laughs> speaks hopefully about our nation i pray for our nation but as far as hope no i have hope for our church Hmm. I just, and again, you're like, why? Right. Um, people have left, right. Everyone is, has been wounded. We were told to trust the leadership that turned out to then apologize to us for not doing it right. It's yeah, like, trust the process and the process is untrustworthy. Yeah. yeah. Right. So it's all this to say, and I, I've nursed my wounds. We've all, we all have them. Um, mine are obviously, uh, skin deep whereas others are bone deep right mm -hmm. um i have not i have not and so um and i've grieved in, in a variety of ways um and, and and again my grief is peripheral other people at the, at the center of of i have shrapnel other people have the detonation itself yeah yeah and so you know there, i shouldn't have hope right because there's been no resolution right there's mm -hmm. been no um you know, eureka moment where we can all, oh, now we know what to do. Right. But again, it's inexplicable. I just get, we got into 2021. I think it has to do, if I could give any explanation, it has to do what we're going to talk about today, which is the topic. Um, it has to do with these practices of prayer that I've finally not just read about academically, but started to try. Yeah on a consistent basis. And I think that has had an effect. I was talking with Jim Leonard about this. I'm like, Jim, I can't explain it. I think it's the prayer. I think it's the centering prayer practice that I've been trying, not trying anymore, but now doing more regularly. Right. And um, we got to be honest, like some of the people that rediscover grace, like having an allergy to practices, like, mm -hmm. Oh, you can't talk about practices. Now there's only grace. Don't, you right. know, it's, and, and right. I, what's funny is that, um, you just, they're not incompatible. The, the problem is if you put the practices first and then expect the grace to be the carrot at the end, the grace is the ground of the practices. Mm -hmm. and that has to always be the case. And once that's understood there, and I don't want to say the word techniques, but what I learned from our liturgy and from our tradition, that there is a, lively hidden track to Anglicanism, kind of like the, yeah, I know, 
all the younger people are like, what's a hidden track? Yeah. <laughs> it's, on, it's on a CD. When you used to get CDs and it would be like, you'd, you'd you know, wait three minutes after the yeah, last song. And just then, silence. And, you just... and there, yeah, there would be another song, right? So this is the hidden track. And, and, and let me, let me, you know, as you can see, I've been comfortable with my tangents. I'll continue. Yeah. Um, Please. So in what we did in catechesis last half decade right was mm -hmm. we toggled between grace and <laughs> and high evangelical which is what we meant grace mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i don't know if that word is usable anymore yeah. but <laughs> but we meant grace right? that's what we meant <laughs> exactly as we and of course you might say well don't you mean bible as well yes because that's the message of the new testament <laughs> right grace right it it's our it's our calling card uh, yeah. as protestants it's grace right and then we went to the high church as well which is we we saw them they could come together and so we toggled back and forth back and forth the catholic side right the protestant side the high church side the evangelical side and the whole point along the way was to say hey if you were kind of on the evangelical side of of things um incline yourself to the high church right mm -hmm. to the eucharist right and if you're on the the high church side of things incline yourself to the evangelical to the grace yeah. and that's how we'll stay together so what i hadn't realized was that there really was a hidden track of depth psychology depth theology we might mm -hmm. call it within this and let me tell you how i found it in martin so our guide for the evangelical side was paul zoll's grace and practice and i think people well, it's an uneven book. And that's the whole mm -hmm. point. You know, who's also uneven? The Apostle Paul, yeah. <laughs> really uneven. It's polemical. It's prophetic. It's intended to be a wrench in the gears of your motivational projects, mm -hmm. right? Of your, And that's the beauty of that book. And then Martin Thornton's English spirituality is very systemic and, and architectural and beautifully structured in this incredibly rich and in-depth history of Anglicanism that, of course, isn't just Anglicanism. He calls it English spirituality because he's taking all of the rich Benedictine and Augustinian charisms wow. before the Reformation and almost skips over the Reformation. Hmm. And when I discovered what this podcast is about, which we haven't even gotten to, but you'll see we've, get, we've been getting there. It's already been hinted well, at. We're, we're circling around. Exactly. We're, we're circumambulating. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and what, what I, I was like, this has got to be in Thornton. I have to have missed it. And I open up Thornton and I'm like, is this here? And he's like, you know what he does? He's like, he's like, well, I didn't mention this text at all in this book of English spirituality because it's just background assumption, right? Background yeah. radiation. <laughs> and I'm like, that's not fair. Like this book is that good. And so good for him. Like let Martin Thornton do that. He's a great scholar. He's, a lot of people are rediscovering him. We're grateful mm -hmm. to Matthew Dahlman for kind of introducing him to us, a colleague in the area. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I'm like, he really doesn't talk about it enough. And so maybe you could say that this text is the third thing. That's what I mean by hope that it's not denying the high church, right? It's mm -hmm. not denying grace. It's assuming, and it's assuming both. It assumes liturgy. Yeah. It assumes the, the Eucharist. It assumes church structure. It assumes grace all the way through. And I really mean that. I mean, it really does assume you cannot do this on your own. This is not a work. This is not effort. Yeah. And the text is the 14th century anonymous classic, 
the cloud of unknowing. And you all, and I say you, I'm speaking to all souls parishioners, already know and even, believe it or not, have memorized the first lines of the text. Let me read it to you. It's really exciting. So you open up this 14th century classic that was a, a probably a monk, we're mm. not quite sure, um, addressed to a probably another monk, right? Mm-hmm. May, uh, again, there's no, it's like the book of Hebrews, or right? you don't quite yeah. know. Yeah. Uh, maybe a priest, right? Maybe a lay person could be addressed, but probably not. Um, but nevertheless, here's the opening words. God, unto whom all hearts are open, unto whom, this is a different translation, right. all wills do speak, we would say all desires known and yeah. from whom no secrets are hidden, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit. This book is for our congregation. Hmm. This book is for our congregation. And what I mean by that, and, and you know, we'll, <laughs> we are in the cloud of unknowing right now as yeah. a congregation. We don't know what happened. And we have been in that agonizing cloud for a very long time. Yeah. <laughs> And if you're like me, you've been like, oh, I hate this cloud. I hate this cloud. <laughs> and then finally, you can, you just surrender and say, okay, fine. Yeah. And, and so that, like, that's one side of it, of just surrendering to the fact that maybe God knows what he's doing by allowing us to go through this. And maybe the spiritual fruit will come of it if we just let this process painful as it is mm-hmm. under unfurl itself without my personal resistance just saying yeah. okay lord here's what you're doing and then the kicker here is just like we said back in the day if you're evangelical incline your hearts to mm-hmm. the high church if you're high church incline your hearts to the evangelical Whatever side of this thing you're on, insofar as we even know what sides are, because we don't know what happened, right? Incline your heart to the person you're disagreeing with. Hmm. And that's a, that's a tall, tall order. The closer you are to the, to the detonation, it's the harder it is. Yeah. So maybe I can say it because I'm peripherally removed. Sure. But my goodness, it's like, so you were in the cloud and... Um, we can get into the details of the text, but I think the whole point of the details of the text is not to get lost in any academic thing. The minute you start reading this document, he's like, you got to start doing this. Hmm. And he teaches you the method of silent prayer. That's what this is about. So I will stop there and we can talk about the revival of this method in the last 50 years, which is really exciting. But but nevertheless, I've I've gone on long enough. No, no, that's that's, that's the I, hope I have. Yeah, and I think I think even about when I think about clouds and unknowing, my mind goes a lot to um, to numbers. And you know, when you're reading scripture, sometimes there's like a detail that jumps out at you, and like you never forget it. I remember, I remember, I say I never forget it. I never remember when this happened, but I'll never forget that reading numbers and reading about the people of God wandering through in the you know mm. the cloud of the cloud is in in the day and the pillar of fire by night and they just kind of follow it wherever it goes and it's like when it stops they don't move when it stops for days weeks months so here's israel in the wilderness 
and that there's this pillar and every day they wake up for months and they go still here i guess i guess camp is still here for now um exactly and stepping into the text and this is sort of a credit to the to the kind of wondering questions we do at all souls especially in in children's worship just this idea of like what would it feel like to be there to be to be saying god okay we're ready to go let's get moving and the cloud goes nope not yet you're not you're not going yet um maybe the cloud's cleansing work isn't concluded that's right, right. and so mm. you know and, and it's I think it's it's wise to sort of think different people have different experiences of these things and you don't want to go one for one. <laughs> nothing nothing here is direct spiritual advice to every individual in the congregation. Right. You need to do this. But there's something about um, where we've been so far. And even there is a different cloud of unknowing for the future. There's a whole different cloud of unknowing that says, who is also going to be on the other side of this? Who, does, who is also going to discover that it is? What kind of things are going to rise to the surface? Who are we becoming in this process? There's an unknown on the other side, in the same way that the Israelites are wandering through the wilderness and they do not know what the promised land will look like. And there's something about that waiting period that is agonizing. Um, totally. But I want to hear about the practice of silent prayer because I think it's in listening that we yeah. actually find the comfort in the wilderness. And I, and I think, you know, and again, we'll, we'll get into the, the details as, as we conclude, but I just want to say, I think what the, what this has done for me is because I want to participate, right? Mm. I want to, Lord, can you use me, right? <laughs> yeah. And I think that might be part of the problem. Um, and that my image of what All Souls was, and I did intentionally use the past tense, because, not because I don't believe all souls is something right now. Yeah. But what I'm saying is it's not what it was before, right? We're like the caterpillar. Yeah. Li liquefied caterpillar. Right. <laughs> right. We are totally liquefied right now. And so when I think of clinging to what all souls was, because I loved all souls. I loved it so much. And this prayer method has taught me to consent to the death of that congregation so that I can be a part of what God has in store in the future. It's terrifying to say that, right? Yeah. It's terrifying to say that Absolutely. because, but, but, but I say it in like, let, let me put it this way. That is a way, like some people maybe who are listening to this um, are tempted to leave all souls right now. And when I, and I know some people, faithful, good, wonderful people have left, right? Yeah. And I want to say, you can leave without leaving, <laughs> right? <laughs> you, you can die to who you were as a part of this congregation um, and grieve that even. And I think what, what had to happen is I had to grieve that. And, um, and what I mean by the hope is I was so kind of in that grief, anger, despair, frustration, annoyance, um, mm -hmm. guilt, uh, whatever, you know, just yeah. all, whatever adjectives you want to use. And I kind of hung out there long enough. And now because of this kind of basically what centering prayer is, it's death to yourself. Mm -hmm. And so instead of coming to God with all my frustrations, please understand I have done that, right? This isn't, this doesn't rule out that kind of sure. prayer, 
but I just kind of sat dead in his presence <laughs> and let him slowly nurse me back to life. So let me give you, um, before we get into the details, let me, this, I, let's just, this is from the cloud from chapter 75. There's, there are very short chapters, by the way, okay. so don't be intimidated by that. Hmm. Um, listen to this <laughs> as if it's being addressed to our congregation. Okay. Right. <laughs> Whenever the feeling of, and again, remember this is an elder monk counseling a younger person pursuing a deeper life of prayer. Whenever the feeling of grace is withdrawn, pride is always the cause. Not necessarily actual pride. This is important, okay? Not necessarily actual pride, but potential pride that would have arisen if the feeling had not been withdrawn. Because of this, there are some young idiots who think God is their enemy when in fact he is their best friend. Hmm. And what I, and I'm, I am not a prophet. I do not know what God is doing at all souls. And I cannot emphasize enough. I am not at the epicenter of this bomb, this mm -hmm. blast. Yeah. So here, if you are hearing that might be like, wait, what are you saying? I'm yeah. talking about from my vantage point, I think it was a possibility that All Souls could have become um, All Souls Inc. or some mm. kind of you know brand, some kind yeah. of God was clearly at work. No. And I frankly, you know, we it's egos can't attach anymore because we're in we're in larva stage. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like uh, this has obliterated us. This has hurt us. And I, and I just want to, I simply want to say, you know, many people have been really, really hurt and there are no scare quotes in what I just yeah. said. Yeah. Um, and, and, it, and in the midst of that, um, God is at work. He is a God of, of, of death and resurrection. And so for someone like me who, who needed, you know, to die to parts of myself uh, always, right. Mm -hmm. This, um, this method of prayer has kind of, first of all, the situation of all souls has, has stimulated that, but this method of prayer has helped hap that happen as well. Yeah. There's, so I meet with, um, I, I have both a, like a leadership coach, um, who sort of helps me think through, um, what I'm doing in a leadership position. I have a spiritual director and it's, and as I pour out whatever I'm going through, whatever, whatever's happening, I, I'm one who tends to want to control things to sort of have the answers. Mm -hmm. I'm quick, I'm quick to opinions, whether or not they're good ones, I'm quick to act. Um, just in my, in my own. Doesn't nature. the Bible say that quick to act, slow to speak? Yep. I think right, that's, that's right. in there. That's right. Who, who cares about talking? <laughs> Get stuff done. Um, <laughs> so, um, but, but it's, it's remarkable so often what what both of these people say and and my leadership coach is also in also serves as a spiritual director to other people so she's in that world as well there's often like this is all interesting andrew but my job is to care for you in this moment so how are you feeling about this where are you hearing god in this moment mm. have you been praying and asking god what he's doing in that and there are how important is it for all of us to be attuned to that to that voice, right? To say, I can be quick to have opinions about how things should be and how they ought to be and how I, I want this to happen. And man, what a, 
it knocks you it knocks you on your back it knocks the wind out of you to be like okay that's that's neat but but what's god doing in your heart right now um that that does so much good and it, it and it does good because it often part of us has has to die in the process um yeah and it, and it, that's and you it's so painful to go through that yeah right and i think that i think and this is gets back to luther it's so much good stuff was happening and is continuing to happen mm-hmm. at all souls and even that stuff sometimes we have to let go of that's the hard part right yeah it's like even and and so it's like oh and letting go of that so that and that's what centering prayer is about mm-hmm. it is you could have so let's finally you know break through the prefaces and t- say what this method <laughs> is like, yeah. so the method is described in detail in this book if you want to just cut right to the chase chapter seven it's very short it tells you exactly how to do it mm-hmm. um but what this method entails is reconceiving your understanding of what a prayer session is. And the most important thing to keep in mind in regard to, again, the way the practice has been revived, it got a title called Centering Prayer, which was mm. taken from Thomas Merton. Initially, it was called, when it was revived, called the Prayer of the Cloud. I kind of prefer that. Um because it's directly connected to this text, but yeah. it's just, you know, for marketing purposes, right? They call <laughs> right, it right. the, you know, the prayer of the cloud and or they call it centering prayer. And so what happens is it's not saying, and I have me almost say this five times so that people don't miss it. It's not, it's not saying, 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 don't go to church. Don't do the divine office. Don't have a half hour long talky chatty prayer session with God. Yeah. Don't pray before me. It's not saying don't do any of those things. It's saying, in fact, it's assuming them. Hmm. It's assuming that you're going to church, that you're, these are monks. They're praying the divine office all the time. Right. Right. So it's not in conflict with the catechesis session for the fall of 2020 Yeah. at all. But what it is saying is there are some times <laughs> when we leave all of that aside, good as all that is and we quiet our minds and we reduce it and and the pattern here is jesus right who did not consider equality with god something to be grasped Mm -hmm. he emptied himself kenosis the greek word he emptied himself and we can do that too and so what happens in a session and you read chapter seven and you're like whoa it's in middle english this is the first book of spiritual theology written in English. So, I mean, it's in mid- ancient Middle English. It's hard to understand, but I, I read contemporary translations. So that's, you know, to translate. So you read it there, it's one thing, but you read the contemporary resurrections of this method and the way they describe it, it's very simple. And you reduce everything to one single word. Okay. Some of you will remember Deacon Mary giving a juicy little tidbit in catechesis once that blew my mind and I've chased Mm -hmm. it down. I finally found it. And what she said was this. She said that there was a study that happened, I think at Fuller or somewhere, um, a seminary Mm -hmm. that um, people did 
neuroscience technique scans, right? Put on the straps on the head and yeah. what's going on in the brain of both advanced practitioners of centering prayer, which is this method, and advanced meditators who are Buddhist and different parts of the brain lit up. Hmm. I was so intrigued by that. And I finally chased down some of those studies and basic, I found the book that kind of uncovered that. And basically it's um, Cynthia Bourgeau's second book on centering prayer called the heart of centering prayer. And she says, she's like the whole neuroscience spirituality ball game out there, which is a booming field, right? God in the brain, right? Mm -hmm. She said, there's a total Buddhist skew. Hmm. And they don't understand that the Christian form of centering prayer is not Buddhism. It is right. not emptying the brain. It is instead the brain, the mind descending into the heart. And so Thomas Keating got so frustrated. He's one of the architects of the revival. I'll tell you the story about how it came to be in a second. But he, he's like, could you please stop using the word mindfulness? It's such a stupid, it's not a helpful word because in fact, it's the opposite. And so he actually said heartfulness should be an alternate and um, or even more uh, classically from a Christian point of view, the, the Christian term recollection. Mm. That's what this is. But I got quickly, I'll tell you the story. Um, it, so in uh Spencer, Massachusetts at St. Joseph's Abbey, these guys are Trappists, right? Mm -hmm. So that's a reform of the Benedictine order. Thomas Merton was a Trappist, but these guys are in Massachusetts. And um, all these like hippies start banging on the door in the 1960s. Hey man, you know where the Buddhist meditation mm -hmm. hall is? And they're like, no, it's just down there. And they're all getting depressed. They're like, all these young hippies are becoming Buddhists. And yeah. finally, Thomas Keating, you know, cause there was a Buddhist meditation center nearby. Thomas Keating is like, hey, can I ask you, you know, what are you looking for? He's like, hey, and he's like, hey, man, we're looking for a path. And Keating responds, is like, do you know you? He's like, let me guess, your parents aren't Buddhist. Yeah. <laughs> let me guess, you're actually a Christian. He's like, well, my parents were, but now I've discovered other right, things. Right. And he's like, do you realize we have a path hmm. in Christianity? And so it was Keating at that monastery. William Menninger was another person involved. And he's the one who looked into the cloud of unknowing and said, that is what these people are looking for. They gave in a new word, centering prayer, mm -hmm. and they taught people how to do it. And that launched a movement called centering. It's um, contemplative practice is, no, I'm sorry. Contemplative outreach is the organization. If you okay. Google it, they'll give you all the basic details on how to do it. And they've refined it over time, but it, it's basically gotten to the point now. There are a lot of good books about this. If someone is concerned about it from a biblical and evangelical point of view, Father Arcadi pointed us to this great book, Embracing Contemplation, edited by John Coe and Kyle Strobel, that basically, mm -hmm. you know, Jim Wilhoyd, an amazingly saintly emeritus professor at Wheaton, who just says, hey, Here's some, you know, critical theological points, but this can be embraced. Yeah. It's deeply, richly biblical by evangelicals. Um, and I think just a little bit of bibliography here for those interested in this kind of thing. I think Bourgeau's books are sometimes really uneven. Her centering prayer books are brilliant. I mean, mm. like, wow. Um, and the more classic popular introduction is thomas keating's open mind open heart which is jaw-droppingly 
good mm-hmm. and like will devastate you. It's, yeah. And he'll tell you how to do it. But as far as like the middle of the road, like this is how deep this goes into the Christian tradition is Basil Pennington, another monk, his book, Centering Prayer. He died too young, but Keating just died a couple of years ago. And people who were there at his death, you read accounts of his death and it is like, they're like, this was like, you know, saint's death in the middle ages, mm-hmm. like strange aromas filled the room. It was just, I mean, this wow. man had reached this level of sanctity and anyone yeah. who knew him really spoke that way. And sometimes he'll go, you know, uh, theologically, that's what Jim Wilhoyt does in this book. He's like, sometimes Keatings will go on a little bit of a tangent. You got to bring him back yeah. into the yeah. classical Christian tradition. That's why I prefer Pennington. But all this to say, um, don't get lost in the secondary literature. The whole point is to try it and to try it I'll just throw down the ingredients real quick. If if you too would like to die to yourself, yeah. <laughs> like Milliner needed to, right? You become what was the phrase? Uh, liquefied. Liquefied. You want to be the be the caterpillar. You want to be liquefied. Right? That's right. So so this is how it works. Um, they recommend two times a day. I have never. I will just straight up confess. Have been yeah. able to accomplish <laughs> this. One is the closest I can get right now at this stage of life. But what you do is you and again. All the other kinds of prayer, do them. This mm-hmm. is not them. This is a different thing. Is you take your single word, whether it be Christ or God or love, that is a tender word that you choose between you and God. Don't switch it around all the time. Stick with one. The cloud recommends one syllable. That some people say, no, it can be a phrase, right? The Orthodox do, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy upon me, a sinner. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's a great method too, but that's not this method, okay? Um, so if you want to try this method, boil it down. want to do it right. Exactly. You're right. The that's the danger. There's yeah, many. Yeah, you know, yeah. 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 The Orthodox have been pretty successful at this, so maybe yeah. <laughs> they have some. For, yeah. So what you do is, is in, and then what happens is inevitably, you know, you ring your bell. I, I like the app. Like I just, I do, I use insight timer, which, uh, Phil Hackman told me about great little app, right? I don't do all the weird, you know, meditation things they ask. I use it because it's really helpful for this purpose. And it has the Mm -hmm. bell that starts with 20 minutes and ends at 20 minutes. There's a centering prayer app too. You can get that does the same thing. So you start the bell and when the bell begins, guess what? Your mind's going to start flying all over the place, right? Mm. Like mine does. Yeah. And usually, I kid you not, I was sharing this with Ryan Kemp the other day. I'm like, Ryan, when I try this, I sometimes won't even get to my prayer word until 15 minutes into the 20-minute session because I've been thinking with anxiety the whole time. That's how bad I am at it. Yeah. And and one woman walked up to, and this is a famous line from the Centering Prayer Lore, woman goes up, and again, I cannot emphasize how richly biblical this is. And um, the cl- real quick, the classic evangelical objection, which I had heard mm-hmm. to this method is as follows. And some of you hearing this, if you're still listening, maybe if you, <laughs> maybe you turned it off, if you were going to have this objection, and I hope you continue to listen because it's the greatest answer I've ever heard to this objection. Pennington in a Q and a at the end of his book, Centering Prayer, it's like, but if, but if you empty your mind, Satan will fill it. Right. Satan will take advantage of your passivity and like enter you. Right. And Penny and Satan is real. These monks know that. I know that. We know that. Yeah. Right. There really is a devil. Right. And we renounce is, him. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> We're not like the Jungians. 
I assimilate him <laughs> as the dark side of my consciousness, right? It's like, you know, Jung was wrong on that point. There's a difference between the shadow and evil. There's yeah. a difference between evils to be renounced. The shadow, of course, grace can be, all that to say. What is Pennington's answer to that objection? He's like, no, you don't understand. Satan can't get you here. You're retreating into the presence of God within you, which is a fact of baptism yeah. and a continual grace of the Eucharist. And Satan can't get you there. Satan wants you to get in your mind and thinking because that's his battleground. Then he can win. Mm -hmm. And it's just said with such pastoral tenderness and sensitivity, like this Satan will do anything to keep you from doing this. That's why I think one of those, yeah. it's a brilliant like ploy of Satan to say, yeah, I'll get you if you go into this time of centering prayer. So all this to say, the other famous line is that a woman says to Father Keating after she tries this on like a centering prayer retreat, she's like, oh, Father Keating, I had 10,000 thoughts during my centering mm -hmm. prayer. And he famously replied with grace and a smile. Oh, how wonderful. 10,000 times to return to God. <laughs> and that's the beauty of it. So, yeah. so when you go into centering prayer and you have the thoughts and like, oh, I'm anxious about all souls or, oh, I don't know what mm -hmm. to do about this. You, you use your word as almost as a shield, right? Sometimes you can even imagine yourself like at the bottom of a river and all of the weird, I know, but mm -hmm. do what you need to do. And, um, but that itself is a form of thinking, right? Any place right, that, right. The, so you have to eventually retire from this and, and just purely let go. But the point of the river analogy is this, you imagine the thoughts as these like um, ships and like flotsam and jetsam in the river floating mm -hmm, above mm -hmm. you and you don't grab them. You don't grab yeah. them. And so you keep returning to the word and, and this is the kicker. Maybe the best advice I've ever gotten out of this. And this brings us to our, question of hope you know how do i why do i why do i have hope for all souls the mm -hmm. answer is i don't know hmm. i shouldn't but i think the answer is because of one of thomas keating's crucial pieces of advice he said the fruit of centering prayer doesn't happen during the prayer time itself a lot of us want the the touch feelies, right? Yeah. And God gives those to us sometimes in his goodness, but he doesn't want us to get addicted to them. That's the great point of Gerald May's great book, Addiction and Grace, right? You can get addicted to the good things of God. Yeah. And so what happens is like sometimes this will be a desert of sorts, like we're in as a congregation, mm -hmm. <laughs> like the 20 years of silence that we're in yeah. <laughs> it's like, we're, you know, there we are. And so I think that there's a sense in which don't expect some, oh, right. but that said, and this is Cynthia Bourgeau's point, which is also you got to put these folks together because they're so helpful in, in tandem. Yeah. And she is in the Anglican tradition. Again, particularly adventurous. But I will tell you, um, when, you know, some kind of famous ex-Christian liberal figure will put an endorsement on her book, oftentimes they haven't read it because <laughs> she is surprisingly orthodox sometimes. 
like aggressively defending the Trinity. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, I just clearly know these people who want to get in touch with this fashionable Episcopalian woman, they sure. haven't read the books. Right. Right. So it's like, all that to say, right. but one of the things that she says, that's really helpful. She says, you will feel a certain warmth in your heart and that should be encouraged because that's what's going on. It's not, if it was Buddhist, right? It would just, I mean, I'm not a Buddhist. I don't understand their meditation techniques, nor do I care to pursue them, mm-hmm. right? Um, but what happens is in the Orthodox tradition in the East, in the Christian tradition, and in mm-hmm. the Anglican tradition as well, there is a deep warmth because your heart is becoming alive. And so she says that you read these great Orthodox saints, like Simeon the New Theologian and others around the turn of the millennium, Mm-hmm. And he will say, you will feel this and it's okay to cultivate that almost physical sensation. Um, <laughs> Denise, this is a crime of highest order in my home. Um, Denise had a toothache, a bad one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was <laughs> reading this Orthodox uh, prayer manual, Theophan the Recluse. And he says at one point, <laughs> God should be with you like a toothache. And I'm like, hey, Denise, look yeah. at this. And she looked, she gave me the death stare. Yeah, no, <laughs> I'm I, not I can... sure I, I, why I'm still here after that. But the point is like almost a physical sense of God's yeah. presence. And here, and this, I promise I'll stop here, but another 14th, and again, why do we care about the 14th century? Plague, 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 yeah. <laughs> right? They've been through it. Yeah. Their COVID numbers were much much worse. We're right. talking about a third to two thirds of the population dead with gruesome. And I know we have had deep, deep suffering. I get it. I know it. But they had deeper suffering. Mm-hmm. And it's not surprising to me that out of that comes these classics like Julian of Norwich, 14th century, Walter Hilton, the ladder of divine descent. Um, at scale of perfection, rather, and then Richard Rolla, the fire of Rolla, I think it is, the fire of love. He's another contemporary of the cloud of unknowing. Mm-hmm. And I picked up Richard and I'm reading this. He's a little more very effective, like, oh, I felt a burning. Oh, yeah, right? yeah. it's like almost, it's very <laughs> Pentecostal. And I read this and I'm like, why did I think when I heard John Wesley say my heart was strangely warmed that that was novel? Hmm. There's nothing novel about that. Yeah. Richard Rolla, he was like on the heart warmed like train for a long time, many centuries before Wesley. So that's, I think, a good note to conclude on. It's like cultivating the warmth in that time of prayer as the mind descends into the heart and then exercising that warmth toward our congregation that is cold, that needs the warmth. Literally cold. We're out there in the snow. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> so, and I, I, you know, parts of my heart grew cold to parts of all souls. And by the grace of God, he's torqued it up again. And it's not a work, it's a grace. And I think what's, what's valuable is like this, as you're describing, this isn't listening prayer where you're, which is another type of contemplative prayer where you're sitting and you're asking questions or you're waiting on a word from God. Or yeah, which is on, great. Which is great. also, all right. Like that's another, yeah. that's another option and it's good. But this this is simply to feel God's presence, to, to know God near exactly. us. And it's, you know, that like neo-reformed, like evangelical world that I, I was, went to undergrad in and sort of am, am adjacent to. 
sort of, I can imagine that this response of like, well, no, it's got to lead into teaching. It's got to lead into something, producing yeah. something. There's that like, well, what am I going to do with this? And it's, I, I'm struck with what um, a um, picture of God's love it is that God loves us so much that rather than just like giving us centering prayer as like, well, here and there, then I can go send you out to do some other work. But he loves us enough to have this method of prayer where he says, no, I just want you to know that I love you in this moment. I want to be present and near you and just for you to feel my love because you individual listener matter enough to God to receive in that moment. Like I, the, a brief anecdote, Joy and I were remembering, or I was remembering and I was telling Joy that um, when I grew up, I had a sort of closing liturgy to all my prayers that were always, uh, Lord, I want to do what is right and live by your will. So what I always, that was always like, I don't know if I got it from my parents, but we were recalling that, that that as a cornerstone for prayer had none of God's affection for me. It's like, okay, God, I, I want to work hard for you. I want to do this stuff for you. I want to, I want to do the next step. But that in this, we're reminded that God just loves us and wants us to know that he loves us. And it doesn't always have to lead into do something. It can lead into just being in God's presence. Nelly, can you think of anything more illustrative of the Protestant doctrine of grace and one-way love right. that Paul's right. all talked about? That's the beauty of it. It totally absorbs everything we're talking about. And I can imagine, and I want to be really clear about this. Richard Hooker, we got this from Dr. Wood, Adam Wood, mm-hmm. once of his catechesis. He's like, Hooker is going to talk about Anglicanism only to the extent that Roman Catholics are saying you don't have a right to exist. Yeah. He's not going to go on the rampage. Right. And we, let's be honest, are at a time where there's, you know, some people will come along who, who will say, well, you goofballs at Lincoln Marsh, you know, um, either side of it, whether it res or it also fought one day, you'll just understand. And here's what I want to say about that. Insofar, and there's no one in our congregation who does this, but you know, lobs are fired from beyond, right? Sure. Um, that I, I want to say, oh, you think we're just on the road to uh, submitting to the Bishop of Rome as a result of all this, and the whole Anglican project is going to collapse? Mm-hmm. And I want—I don't want to get into an argument. I just want to say the following: first of all, think of how resonant this is with Luther. What you just said—if it really is yeah. God who's done everything, you can just sit in His presence and let Him yeah. be the one doing the work. But secondly, what? was going on in the 14th century, Wycliffe. This is a very dangerous form of prayer from a traditional ecclesial control point of view (laughs) because all of a sudden you're accessing God and it's quite certain that the author of the cloud knew what they did to Meister Eckhart. And Mm -hmm. Meister Eckhart on the continent who was moving in this direction, <laughs> he was brutally treated and they did, they didn't manage to declare him a heretic, but they came pretty close. Yeah. And he spent so much of his life 
defending himself because he was in, attuned to these forms of mysticism. I remember once kind of breathing some critical words of, of Eckhart, and there are times where he doesn't seem to be dotting his I's and crossing his T's correctly. And so I was just kind of from my head making that criticism. And someone, I can't remember who it was, maybe it was Jim Leonard, I can't remember, in the back of the congregation just kind of raised his hand and made an objection to that. And I'm so glad that person did because I've since looked deeper and I'm like, oh my gosh, Eckhart is the classic. I mean, he was going to outdo Thomas Aquinas with a work of theology, which is quite an, a, a bold attempt, right? Yeah. It's like El Greco trying to be better than Michelangelo. He was really going to try in his like, I can't remember, it was like Opus Tertium or something like that. He was going, and then he hit this, we could call it a midlife crisis to use our psychological terminology, but it could also just be a deepening where he said, no, I discovered God and I discovered and he just gave these colloquial German sermons to begin nuns and something happened to him. And the church was merciless in trying to stamp those things out. And we just have to be honest about that, that there is as much of a claim for those in the Anglican tradition to say that this came to maturity in some of the doctrines of the Reformation. Mm -hmm. And we had a longer conversation about this and I don't want to bore people with it, but my goodness, some of the academic work that's come out lately to just say, hey, the Magisterial Reformation, um, they were on to something and they weren't just the first step towards secularizing the world. That was, yeah. frankly enough, a combined Christian contribution. Right. All of us together made that happen with our yeah. nasty, noxious divisions with one another. Please, let's stop pinning the blame on each other. I'm not going to do that to Roman Catholics. But thank you very much. We have a right to the cloud as well. <laughs> right. And I, I will tell you this. I, I, I've uh, picked up Evelyn Underhill. <laughs> she's great. Because I'm like, why aren't you a Catholic? You're reading all these mystics, right? Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, and she, and she just, it's such a sweet letter. She's like, well, first of all, um, my spiritual director, Baron von Hugel, is a very formidable Catholic theologian. And he doesn't seem to have me need to do that so you can just relax a little bit and it's funny it's like it depends what catholic you talk to i know a right. lot of deeply mature serious roman catholics who advise me to stay anglican right yeah. so again it's like but they're not the right catholics yeah you're showing some divisions in your own church anyway all this to say underhill in her very sweet letter very sweet letter she just says look she says god has placed me here and there are souls for me to tend to here. He has also placed me in this part of the suburbs of London. And sure, I would love to have a nice little flat in a high rise, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> there yeah. in, in, in this nice neighborhood in Kensington. Wouldn't that be great? But that's not where God has called me. That's not where God has called me. And I just loved that story coming from her. She's the one who recovered Julian of Norwich. Quick tip, hot tip out there. If anybody doesn't have the time, like all of us, your time right. is slipping away, um, just Google cloud of unknowing and put it under videos, search the videos, and you scroll down a good way and you'll find the Evelyn Underhill translation, which is read by um, at LibriVox. So it's in the public domain, but this it's read by a cool guy with an English accent. So there we go. And just <laughs> so pop the earbuds in and Evelyn Underhill's um, introduction is just incredible to this thinker she sets the context and then the entire thing five hours is just read aloud if anybody wants to engage it but more than engaging the text don't get lost in that yeah do yeah. it 
Just do it. Set your 20 minute timer. Do it. You'll this love it. All right. Well, I, I will. I'm going to commit to once a day. Maybe I can do two times, but I'm at least going to do once a day this week. Uh, you have inspired me to, to take up this centering prayer. I, um, you, you see what you think. See what you think. Yeah. You know, and that's it. And we gotta be really clear. This is not for everyone. Like it might, you might be good for you. It might be, it might, you might find, you know what? I tried it for a week. I don't think it's for me right now. I'm going to do mm-hmm. the office. Nothing would be wrong with that. Right. It happens to be good for me at this stage in my life, which is why I share it. Some people might listen to this and say, not for me right now. Not my jam. That's okay. Yeah. Not my, exactly. That's okay. But for some of us, <laughs> maybe. All right. Well, thank you so much for sharing this, Matt. Um, and everybody, I don't know. I, I was going to say like, click subscribe or whatever, whatever the ending of a podcast. Give us a rating. Give us a rating on Apple. Pod- I don't know. <laughs> That's the thing. It's an in-house thing. That's what I like about it. Yeah. 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 We, we don't have the, we don't have a verger ringing a bell telling us like, Hey, you're done. We go like, well, we're done. Um, but yeah. Well, we, should we push the products that are sponsoring this podcast? Yeah. I don't Ray-Ban <laughs> sunglasses. They're really awesome. They're just so great. They, they keep the sun out of your eyes. Yeah. They're just, yeah. So well, that, maybe I'll, maybe I'll just cut off the recording before we even get to this point. But if I haven't, <laughs> if this makes it into the final cut, thanks everybody for listening and we'll talk to you next week. Hey, bye-bye. There we go.